Welcome to the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. Thank you so much for being here for the first episode of Season 2 of this podcast. We've got a very special guest today, and if you tuned in last season, you will remember our journalistic partner, or as I called him, Digital Health Detective, Brian Dolan. As we focus even more on evidence and commercialization, my partner this season is Chandana Fitzgerald, or as you'll hear her own name of choice, Dr. No Crack. Yes, the name will be explained in this episode. In our conversation today, we briefly rewind the past year in digital therapeutics, we talk SPACs and go in public, new entrants and modalities in the DTX space, and much more. Chandana even asked me a few questions about the history and goal of the podcast and what we have to look forward to in season two. But before we dive in, I remember when Martin Kelly introduced me to Chandana at one of the Health Excel events about five years ago. Chandana was witty, sharp, and fun to speak with. She comes from a clinical background, and as a physician, she's now Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and my clinical and commercialization partner on this podcast, with all the tough questions for our guests. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chandana Fitzgerald. Hi, Chandana. Welcome to the DTX podcast season two. You know, we're hoping that the limited series last time was not limited series. So here we are, season two, and here you are, Chandana Fitzgerald. Why don't you tell the world and all the listeners a little bit about you and the background? Thanks, Eugene. Well, first of all, it's my pleasure to be part of season two and series unlimited. And obviously, I know I'm filling some really big shoes Brian Dolan, so I'll try my best. So a little bit about me, it's nothing fancy, honestly. So I'm a physician and I've practiced in both primary care as well as tertiary care. I really enjoyed clinical practice, to be honest. So the reason for my kind of career change or move, which I'll talk about in a second, had nothing to do with that. I think it was a bit serendipitous, but also for all the physicians out there, it's pretty grueling and it really sucks the juice out of you. So I think if you can't see all your talents being tapped, then you're looking for, you know, stimulation in other ways. And I guess that's kind of what I was looking for. I also did a stint in public health and it was nice. I keep telling my favorite fun fact is also that I went to public health school with deputy CMO in Ireland, who obviously was in the news for the last two years during the whole pandemic. So that's just yeah, random side thing. And since kind of moving on from clinical practice, I've actually worked with quite a few digital health companies. And like I said, I just came into this really serendipitously. I was one of the founding employees, earliest employees of a startup. And we built this community of physicians and we tried to provide them CME and insights through an app at the point of care and obviously really built that into a more robust medical education business. And really that opportunity showed me the potential that digital had and how accessible this really was because we had thousands of doctors using this application on a daily basis. So honestly, I was living in a totally different universe and it opened my eyes. And I was suddenly working with teams like tech and engineers, marketing, sales. It was a totally different experience and something that stimulated and energized me. And I knew then that this was an area I really wanted to further explore. Obviously, that company, since I've moved on, has accomplished so much. They were acquired by M3 in Japan and you know, kudos to them. 
Is it because you moved on or all your contributions to date? No, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'd love to believe the latter. <laughs> I'd love to think I laid some of the founding stones of it. Yeah, and then I also worked for a really brief stint trying to run some bench testing for a wearables company. And that showed me the other side as well, right? Like what could go wrong possibly or what are the things to be aware of? Because in the first one, I really saw all the pluses, all the positives of digital health. And then over the last five years at Health Excel, I think it's so funny because I met Martin maybe over Twitter or something. I can't remember. Surprise, surprise anyway, right? Of course it was on Twitter. Of course. All the early digital health peeps on Twitter. Yeah. And it was awesome because the then kind of core group at Health Excel took a punt on me really. And my role didn't exist at the time. And since then, I'd like to think I've come a long way in Health Excel. And I'm so proud to be part of that journey, that growth story for Health Excel. And as we stand today, and you know this well, we'll talk a bit more about Health Excel. We're in a scaling and growth phase of our organization. And it's been a phenomenal experience. And I get to meet people like you and everybody else that's coming on the show. So what more could one ask for? No, amazing. And actually, you know, I learned a couple of things new. I thought I knew you for now five years or so. I think I knew that, but I just didn't realize the startup game that you played in also. <laughs> so first of all, I do want to kind of acknowledge and thank Brian Dolan, who graciously agreed in the limited series. We had a great amount of fun with a journalistic partner being Brian. I do think that you will fill those shoes and actually overflow them. So I think that's fantastic and looking forward to working with you through this season. Just uh, one little thing, right? Because I think I came up with this with Brian that we called him a digital health detective kind of just randomly. And so part of me says, well, are you a digital health doctorpreneur on this journey as we focus this season? And we'll talk more about it a little bit on kind of clinical evidence and commercialization. Do you have any other ideas? I did speak to Marty. It is a hard one, right? Because I hate like finding a name for myself. And Brian's name is so apt because that's what he does. He's a detective. He investigates. But it was my Twitter handle. And I think it's pretty apt because everybody thinks I am really boring. So it's called Dr. No Crack. <laughs> and for context, right? Like that word means nothing to a lot of people. But in Ireland, where I live, crack is fun, right? So you can meet someone and be like, Hey, what's the crack? You know, like, what's up? You know, what's the story with you kind of thing? All right. So, <laughs> and if you had good crack or you are good crack, you are fun. So I'm Dr. No Crack. So <laughs> that's me. Well, listen, whatever that nickname, and I'm glad that you chose it because I did speak to Marty about it as well. So Dr. No Crack, I love it. So welcome to the show, Dr. No Crack. And again, looking forward to kicking off the season with you. And as far as, you know, I think we're going to take a very similar format, but we'll focus a lot of the questions that you have for our guests on, you know, clinical evidence and scaling in the commercial markets, which I know Health Excel has been pulling the community together. And just for everyone's knowledge, I think the last year's or last season or the first season, the limited season, which was limited. And here we are again. But that ended, we aired the last episode on June 1st. And then honestly, you know, personally, I was kind of itching. I was missing talking to amazing people in the digital therapeutics area. And so I think together with yourself and Marty, we decided that we're going to continue that journey in a DTX community at Health Excel. 
I don't even know how many countless sessions we had with brilliant individuals from around the industry, but maybe you know more. I know it's not only in DTX you guys are doing these virtual meetings, but maybe you can talk a little bit about what Health Excel is and what you guys do and the meetings, and then we move on into the hardcore content. Absolutely, Eugene. So Health Excel, you know, at our core, we want to connect leaders to solve health challenges. And I know it sounds pretty lofty, but we do try to do that in a couple of different ways. At the core of our business, we have what we call an advisory function, which really is an insights generation engine that we have internally. A lot of brilliant minds who work really closely with members of our community to help support their digital health programs and strategies. And really the secret sauce then that powers and fuels this is that community we've built that comprises of, like you said, digital therapeutics and all the different leaders that were on your show and beyond are part of the Health Excel community. But we also have communities focused on other areas, whether it's innovation and clinical trials or uh, neurology and mental health and oncology and so on, really trying to bring different stakeholders and diverse perspectives in the industry because we believe this kind of collaboration is really what's needed to move the needle. And we use all of this community intel to kind of help inform our own understanding because we want to be the front runners in digital health as well. So, and you're right, like we've actually run hundreds of meetings, right? So we do both virtual and in-person. And at the core of it is that it's all really intimate, private behind closed doors and you've got to be invited. You've got to be a member and there's no one just watching you, right? Everybody is engaging with each other. So I think it's quite unique and we are quite bullish about collecting feedback as well. And we've been knocking it out of the park in terms of NPS. So yeah, that's what we do. And we'd love to open up that opportunity to everybody else listening as well. Eugene, before we jump into any further questions, I have a question for you. And I hope that's not throwing a curveball here because generally you're the one asking the questions. (laughs) That's okay. I love answering them too. As some of my family members do think that I like hearing myself talk, which is not true. (laughs) Okay, brilliant. So tell me, since the series is no longer limited, what are you hoping to achieve? And I guess I'm part of that journey too. So what should we achieve and accomplish from series two? Yeah. I mean, if I rewind back very quickly on the limited series as, you know, Dan Kendall and I in the early hatching days, and I know we talked about in our sort of interview between myself and Dan, but the goal here, I mean, as the industry is still relatively new, even though it's a decade about or so, I do think it's really the people behind those logos that are driving, you know, new modalities new interventions that are software-based as the DTA, and we will have some guests from the DTA as well on the show. So A, you know, I think it started as almost like a history project, for lack of a better term. And to a certain extent, the goal here is to educate, right? And I think the feedback that, you know, Dan and I talked about this, and I do invite the listeners now to listen to the first kickoff where Dan and I kind of go through the details a little bit of the history of this. Ultimately, it's about education. This industry is new. I think there's lots of trailblazers, right? And many of them were on the first season or the limited season, and many more will be on this one and many more to come. I'm not promising. I know you said it unlimited series. Let's take it one season at a time. So uh, season two is here and we got an awesome agenda. And I think part of that, the goal here is, you know, we focused on what I would say lots of history and some foundational things in season one. 
And while here the foundation keeps building, right? I mean, there's many changes which we're going to talk a little bit about. Just in you know since June of last year, it's like 17 years past in kind of the healthcare days, right, or the healthcare years. However, I do want to continue moving this forward. I do want to, I think, having the individuals that are driving a lot of this and the newcomers, but also touch on the payers and the commercial models because. R&D is great and product builds are great, but how do you get into people's hands is ultimately the key. And those people are also prescribing physicians in the case of PDT, right? Understanding nurses, pharmacists. So we're hoping to hear from lots of different stakeholders from the ecosystem on this season and uh, love having you on this journey with me. Sounds great. And honestly, it's so on point. These are the things we need to talk about. And all my interactions with my family and friends who are very much active in clinical practice in various specialties now. Sometimes they still are so far removed from all the stuff we talk about here. So it's really about that last mile delivery, like you say. So yeah, really excited. Awesome. And we're going to riff a little bit here, right? So the point of this is to rewind a little bit since last June-ish or so. And I would like to, even though this is all about access to care and impact to the individuals and patients, Obviously, you know, capital drives some of that. And so I actually wanted to talk about, you know, I know there've been a couple of announcements since last June on, you know, companies going public, SPACs, some M&A. So any notable ones that we want to touch on or you want to point out and we can riff a little bit on it? Yeah. Well, I think it was definitely the year of the SPAC, right? Suddenly everybody was going through that path. The obvious names that come to mind are Bayer, Ackley, Better Therapeutics. And then I think we saw a slight downward trend in the early parts of this year. So I guess, you know, you're probably closer to the investment world than I am, but I wonder what that indicates, right? There was a flurry of activity and a whole bunch of companies going after that path. And then all of a sudden, I think investors are backing out a little bit from it. Let's break this down. I think first, you mentioned Better Therapeutics, and to a certain extent, they've been around, but all of a sudden, they did pop onto the scene with a SPAC. I think it was sometime in October of 21. And I always wonder, right, especially pre-revenue R&D companies going public, again, in a digital space. This is pretty well established in sort of the biotech world because there's tremendous, tremendous R&D that's required to take things to market. And there's a, you know, let's call it a promise of a ultimate molecule. And so I think companies like Better and Pair are following very much of this biotech model, R&D pre or minimal revenue, and building this out with a storyline of getting to X millions in revenue and impacts and the outcomes. I think the positive thing in all of this is that investors are not stupid people. At the end of the day, they do their math. And the companies that we just talked about, you know, Better and Pair, while SPAC as a vehicle is an interesting way versus, you know, straight up IPO, I do think the stories were convincing. I don't know. I haven't been tracking the valuations. I know, you know, they went out with sort of larger valuations and I know kind of the stock market overall, and especially digital health tech has not performed well at all. But I don't know your thoughts. I think it's, you know, lastly, Keely is not public yet. And I think when this will air, I don't believe that they will be public yet through the SPAC. But I think a similar story, right? 
the outcomes are there, the R&D, the product is solid, the evidence is there. Yes, it's always been questioned and there will always be questions on it. And there's a pipeline. So again, if I look at Better, Pear, Achille, it's a, somewhat of a biotech-ish story, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And they have kind of followed that biotech or pharma model for sure. So I guess the message is it's TBD. We've still got to wait and see what happens as a result of using this vehicle this year, next year. Yeah, I also want to give a little bit of a shout out. We had Pierre from Volantis last year. So it's one of the M&A deals that happened in the last, you know, let's call it year as well, where Aptar purchased Volantis. I mean, certainly a strategic acquisition as Volantis have been morphing over the years as sort of the companion digital therapeutic to pharma. And it seems like a perfect fit with Aptar. Let's see where Sai and, and Pierre take this merger or M&A forward. Yeah, I think so. I thought that was a very interesting combination as well. It'll be quite powerful, I think. But we also have a company now, unfortunately, in the graveyard, and we did have Ed, who is now with Eversana, who is was the CEO of Dethera. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and your thoughts on it. Yeah, I actually think that was not a 2021 story. However, I know he did a bit of an expose last year, and it kind of came to light. The learnings were really being reflected on in 2021. It's quite unfortunate, and it really comes down to the commercialization model and the reimbursement challenges, right? Because Dethera, and for everyone's information, is a reminiscence therapy for Alzheimer's disease, right? And they did everything by the book. So they got that FDA approval for a breakthrough device designation. I think it was one of the first that even took that pathway. I think they also went public sometime along their journey. They had a ton of clinical evidence that they published as well on the impact of their treatment. And yet fast forward some years, I think they just couldn't crack the business model. And I guess patients and their caregivers were unwilling to pay out of pocket. And there was no real reimbursement that they could secure as well. So I think there's quite a lot to learn that you could have everything else working perfectly fine, but you really need to nail down the commercialization strategy and adoption strategy as well. Yeah. And I think highly dependent on the particular therapeutic area. I mean, we know Alzheimer's is tough. I mean, neurodegenerative diseases in general, we've seen Biogen struggle currently, right? And that's the molecular side. So again, I think kudos. I know we still have Cognito on the market and a few others that are tackling neurodegenerative diseases. So really looking forward to them succeeding and learning from Dutheris lessons learned as well. Absolutely. And you're probably right. The failure of the molecules or, you know, all that stuff that happened last year and the year before might have also contributed. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Chandana Fitzgerald the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel. So let's jump forward a little bit, and maybe we can talk a little bit. I know we had, we sort of highlighted DIGA, and for those who are tuning in first, you can tune into the limited series, the last season, with Christian Dierks, who was one of the co-authors of the DIGA law. This is the German law that allows prescriptions for digital therapeutics, and again, we won't dive deeper into that now. But maybe you can talk a little bit about what has transpired since that. Absolutely. I think 2021 was the year of the DIGA, right? Because that's when it really came into fruition. It was like their pilot year. 
just some stats that I found through my conversations with folks in the local market, as well as obviously a bit of reading. So in total, there were about 33 DIGAs as of right now, this moment in time that have been approved. I don't know whether that's good or bad, right? It does seem like a large number, but it's also still a small number. And then the government of Germany actually paid nearly 13 million to reimburse this set of products in 2021. And about 50,000 prescriptions were written by different physicians in Germany. But really, when you take a step back, that's tiny. And this is a population of 90 million people, right? So we've barely touched the tip of the iceberg here in terms of the volumes of prescriptions and the reach that it's having within the market. And I also, again, I don't know how that correlates to the stats. We're not journalists, you and I. And so I do encourage people to do some of their own research. But I did find a stat also less than 2% of the physicians in Germany prescribe. So, you know, at least one DIGA. So it's just interesting because I think, and this is why we're focusing this season on that commercialization, market access, and clinical evidence, which are all those components that are required for scaling. So... I mean, amazing start by Germany. We're now seeing, and our friends at the DTA are constantly updating and publishing kind of routes to market and reimbursement channels in different countries. I think we're up to eight or nine, and we'll talk to Andy in this season as well from the DTA to get a little bit more on that. So let's chat a little bit. I know we mentioned PEAR. From a regulatory perspective, I know they've lobbied which is part of the funding rounds as well. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And then what else is there that we think is coming? I find it really hard to keep up with Bayer because they're always doing stuff. You know, they're really ahead of the game and pushing the envelope. It's really incredible. So, I mean, some things that come to mind, I know they've published a good few recent trial results as well that they've been doing, some of them with placebo, with sham. So there's a lot in terms of the body of evidence that they're gathering, but more so on the reimbursement and regulation side. I think they did lobby, and this might have been a consortium, so I'm not 100% sure, but Bayer was definitely at the front of this. And there's a new prescription code, right, that's been agreed upon. So that is the level two HCPCS code. And we're not going to go deep on this one, Chandana, because we're going to have a whole episode on just a lot of these regulatory components with an awesome guest. So looking forward to that in this season as well. That's perfect. But it's great, right? It's great that we have that code and now we have to see it in practice. Absolutely. There's always new entrants as well, right? Any that come to mind, and this could be companies or platforms or any kind of emerging things that we're seeing out there, especially in a lot of these health Excel discussions. I feel like every day there's a piece of news on DTX and also just a shout out to Mark Slaus and his digital health newsletter. You know, I think pretty much every month he lists at least a dozen or so news bites on DTX alone. So let's chat about any new entrants, anybody that comes to mind. Well, I learned something new every day. Like you said, when I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, you told me about the nightmares one. What's that called? Nightwear. So I thought that was really interesting and it's new. Another one I've come across again through conversation is Alex Therapeutics. And I know they recently got into a deal with Pfizer around addiction support and management. And I think they're undergoing clinical trials at the moment. There's another one by Karuna Labs, that's uh, virtual reality for pain management. 
And I know another one that I've come across recently is by Tilak, which is a video game for macular degeneration. So there's definitely a lot of activity and you'll see there's new indications that they're addressing as well. So it's no longer just, say, substance use disorder, but there's, you know, pain, there's ophthalmology. So it's nice that we're seeing that kind of expansion. I also think, and we've spoken so much about pairs. so not only have they done all of the stuff we've spoken about, the SPAC, the evidence, the reimbursement, but they also launched Pair Connect last year, right? That's right. That's right. So that's their prescription digital therapeutics dispensing platform. And I think it could be a really interesting play because it'll be a marketplace for all prescription digital therapeutics products. And it's kind of an end-to-end digital platform from what I understand, right? So you have a teleconsult, you're prescribed this and given a code, and then you basically are dispensed the digital therapeutics through this platform. And they've also addressed the question that comes up quite often, which is who's going to educate and show the ropes to a patient of how to use such a new product, how to be dosed with such a product. And they also have like some clinical staff to do that through the platform as well. So I think that's an interesting play. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we kind of touched a little bit on where's the pharmacist in all of this, right? When you take a molecule and a drug, the pharmacist in the front lines and there's, you know, MTM and certain discussions, you know, who's fronting some of those discussions in the DTX. So we'll also hear a little bit more about that on this season. And, you know, you comment a little bit about the VR. We're seeing lots more clinical trials and the use of VR, AR. So lots of companies like SIA, Supplied VR, and others that are doing more and more clinical studies in different settings, as well as around the world, like SmileyScope. That's another player that I just learned about out of Australia. So speaking of different countries and different routes, I think when we ended the DTX podcast, or somewhere around that time frame, you guys actually published DTX report with Brian Dolan and Exits and Outcomes, but also have been collecting data across around different routes to market. We've talked to founders last season, lots of discussions through the Health Excel DTX community meetings around, well, is the employer route correct one? Is the direct-to-consumer route correct one? Is the PDT route correct one? And I think the answer is yes, yes, and yes. It just depends on the therapeutic area. But I would love to hear what the Health Excel community came up with as far as routes to market, especially with younger DTX companies chasing or not chasing pharma as another channel? Definitely. So we, in the Roots to Market report, looked at a number of different routes, right? So there was D2C, pharma partnerships, there's employer pathway, and then other avenues that perhaps don't fit into any of these buckets. So it was really interesting. And in order to do this, obviously, the first exercise that this incredible team internally did was to actually map out all the existing digital therapeutics products into, you know, standalone, prescription, over-the-counter combinations, so all the different permutations and combinations to really be able to drill down and then see who's doing what. So we found some interesting things. Our hypothesis walking into this was that pharma partnerships would be the most sought after avenue, but it actually isn't. It was only about 14% of digital therapeutics companies that have adopted the pharma route. And maybe, again, it's hard to say why that's the case, but it could be because of the rigor of clinical evidence that is required, maybe the timelines that it takes to be in such a partnership could be the regulatory requirements, could be as simple as the contracting barriers, right? So 
And we found there were quite a few who were partnering directly with health systems and payers, I guess, to pilot and trial their products and then about 20% going through the employer route as well. And then we kind of dug a little bit deeper into the pharma partnerships. What we found was that, and I guess this is no surprise, that majority, about 70% of the pharma partnerships were focused on companion digital therapeutics versus standalone. And I guess we know this historically that building a business model as a pharmaceutical company around a standalone digital product is harder. And then we also looked at what are some of the diseases and indications that companies are actually working in, right? And when this industry started, if you remember, you know, five years ago or six years ago, it was predominantly kind of cardiometabolic disease driven, right? But as of last year, when we looked at this or end of last year, it was diabetes and oncology as well in terms of the areas where we saw a lot of pharma digital therapeutics partnerships and the oncology side was really driven by Volantis, like we've spoken, and Kaiku as well. And the last comment I'll make on that is we also questioned some of these business models in terms of their pricing strategies. So if you think about any product, no matter the pathway, if the alternative, so melatonin, if you walk into a Walgreens, you can get it for what, $10, $15. And if your sleep solution or sleep digital therapeutic alternative costs you $200 or $150, it really begs the question of why would I pick that? And I guess we left that as an open question, really. It's amazing because some of the perceptions, to your point, around pharmaceutical company partnerships and how pharma is approaching, where a lot of this is around companion versus standalone. And I would even question that the standalone, what's really the end game there? And do you want to, as a pharma company, develop that from scratch, even with a small partner? or just acquire the revenues. And again, I'm just picking, I'm picking on Achille just as an example in a neurodegenerative right, space. You know, once Achille is generating significant revenue, just go buy it. So I know we've kind of talked about it last season as well and throughout. So amazing stuff that's happening. This was just, you know, probably less than 1% of what transpired in the last year or so in the DTX world. And with that, we're, you know, looking forward to working on this together and we will dive deeper into the season, as mentioned earlier, into still some early trailblazers and we'll announce them as they come. Newcomers to the field, we will look at other countries and what they're doing, path to commercialization with a focus on evidence and access. So really excited for the season. You know, you and I have a preview of what's going to happen, but, um, you know, just follow us along. I'm really excited, Eugene, and I know we have 20-odd episodes lined up, so I'm excited to ask all of these guests some hard questions. It'll be a fun journey, and thanks so much for having me today. Listen, love, love, love having Dr. No Crack with me on this journey. Yes, but can I say a fun fact just to offset my title? Absolutely. Let's hear what gets you up in the morning with a fun fact. <laughs> no, that's not a fun fact because I just exercise every day like a machine. There you go. <laughs> no, it was so funny. So you know how Spotify sends you these stats every um, year? And I'm in the top 1% listeners of this group called Above and Beyond. So they're like a trance music trio. And I love them. I follow them around. I go to their gigs. So anytime I drop this piece of information to someone, I think it just doesn't sit with the image of Dr. No Crack that they have of me. So <laughs> there you go. There's a fun fact. There's a fun fact. Excellent. Love it. And looking forward to your questions throughout the season. 
thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.